0: what made cain so touchy but guilt he had imbrued his hands in his brother's blood if you would hear the word aright lay aside your passions receive the word with meekness get humble hearts to submit to the truths delivered God takes the meek person for His scholar. The meek will He teach His way. Psalm 25, verse 9, Meekness makes the word preached to be an engrafted word. James one twenty-one. A good branch grafted in a bad stock changes the nature of it and makes it bear good and generous fruit. So, when the word preached is grafted into men's hearts, it sanctifies them and makes them bring forth the sweet fruits of righteousness. By meekness it becomes an engrafted word. Sixth point, if you would hear the word aright, be not only attentive, but retentive, lay it up in your memories and hearts. The seed on the good ground are they which, having heard the word, keep it. Luke chapter 8 verse 15. The Greek word for to keep signifies to hold the word fast, that it does not run from us. If the seed be not kept in the ground, but is presently washed away, it is sown to little purpose. So if the word preached be not kept in your memory and heart, it is preached in vain. Many persons have memories like leaky vessels. If the word goes out as fast as it comes in, how can it profit? If a treasure be put in a chest, and the chest be not locked, it may easily be taken out. So a bad memory is a chest without a lock, out of which the devil can easily take all the treasure. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts. Luke 8, 12. Labor to keep in memory the truths, you hear, the things which we esteem highly are not easily forgotten can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire jeremiah two thirty two. did we prize the word of god more we should not forget it so soon if food does not stay in the stomach but rises up as fast as we eat it it cannot nourish us so if the word stays not in the memory it is presently gone it can do the soul but little good point seven if you would hear aright, practice what you hear. Practice is the life of all. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. Revelation twenty two fourteen. Hearing only will be no plea at the day of judgment, merely to say, Lord, I have heard many sermons. God will say, What fruits of obedience have ye brought forth? THE WORD PREACHED IS NOT ONLY TO INFORM YOU, BUT TO reform YOU, NOT ONLY TO MEND YOUR SIGHT, BUT TO MEND YOUR PACE IN THE WAY TO HEAVEN. FIRST, IF YOU DO NOT HEAR THE WORD TO PRACTICE IT, YOU LOSE ALL YOUR LABOR. HOW MANY A WEARY STEP HAVE YOU TAKEN? YOUR BODY HAS BEEN CROWDED, AND YOUR SPIRIT FAINT, IF YOU ARE NOT BETTERED BY HEARING. IF YOU ARE AS PROUD, AS VAIN, AND AS EARTHLY AS EVER, ALL YOUR HEARING IS LOST. You would be loved to trade in vain at trade day, and why not to hear sermons in vain? Why then labor I in vain? Job 9.29 Put this question to your own soul. Why labor I in vain? Why do I take all these pains to hear sermons, and yet have not grace to practice them? I am as bad as ever. Why then do I labor in vain? Second, if you hear the word, and are not bettered by it, you are like the salamander, no hotter in the fire, and your hearing will increase your condemnation. That servant which knew his Lord's will neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Luke 12:47. We pity such as know not where to hear, it will be worse with such as care not how they hear. To graceless, disobedient hearers, Every sermon will be fuel to heat hell. It is sad to go loaded to hell with ordinances. Oh, beg the Spirit to make the word preached effectual. Ministers can but speak to your ear, the Spirit speaks to your heart. While Peter spake, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Acts 10.44 Point 8. Having heard the word in a holy and spiritual manner, For the further sanctification of the Lord's day, confer with the word. We are forbidden on this day to speak our own words, but we must speak of God's word. Isaiah 58.13 Speak of the sermons as you sit together, which is one part of sanctifying the Sabbath. Good discourse brings holy truths into our memories and fastens them upon our hearts. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Malachi 3.16 There is great power and efficacy in good conversation. How forcible are right words. Job 6.25 By holy conference on a Sunday, one Christian helps to warm another when he's frozen, and to strengthen another when he's weak. Latimer confessed he was much furthered in his religion by having conference with Mr. Bilney, the martyr, my tongue shall speak of thy word. Psalm 119:172. One reason why preaching the word on a Sunday does no more good is because there is so little good conference thereafter. Few speak of the word they have heard, as if sermons were such secrets that they must not be spoken of again, or as if it were a shame to speak of that which will save us. Point 9 close the lord's day evening with memory work reading singing psalms and prayer ask that god would bless the word you have heard could we but thus spend a sabbath we might be in the spirit on the lord's day our souls would be nourished and comforted and the sabbaths we now keep would be earnests of the everlasting sabbath which we shall celebrate in heaven Use 1. See here the Christian's duty to keep the Sabbath day holy. First, the whole Sabbath is to be dedicated to God. It is not said, keep a part of the Sabbath holy, but the whole day must be religiously observed. If God has given us six days and taken but one to Himself, shall we grudge Him any part of that day? It were sacrilege. The Jews kept a whole day to the Lord, and we are not to abridge or curtail the Sabbath. As Augustine says, more than the Jews did, the very heathen, by the light of nature, Romans chapter 2, set apart a whole day in honor of false gods, and Scavola, the high priest of theirs, affirms that the willful transgression of that day could have no expiation or pardon. If anyone robs any part of the Christian Sabbath for servile work or recreation, Scevola, the high priest of the heathenish gods, shall rise up in judgment to condemn him. Let those who say that to keep a whole Sabbath is too Jewish, show where God has made any abatement of the time of worship. Where has God said you shall keep but a part of the Sabbath? And if you cannot show that, you rob God of your of his due, that a whole day be designed and set apart for his special worship is a perpetual statute, while the church remains upon the earth. Of this opinion also were many of the church fathers. Second, as the whole Sabbath is to be dedicated to God, so it must be kept holy. As you have seen the manner of sanctifying the Lord's Day by reading, meditation, prayer, hearing the word, and by singing of psalms to make melody to the Lord now, besides what I have said upon keeping this day holy, let me make a short comment or a paraphrase on that scripture. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. Here is a description of rightly sanctifying a Sunday. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, This may be understood either literally or spiritually. Literally, that is, if you withdraw your foot from taking long walks or journeys on the Sabbath day. So the Jewish doctors expound it. Or spiritually, if you turn away your affections, the feet of your soul from inclining to any worldly business, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. That is, thou must not do that which may please the carnal nature, as in sports and pastimes. This is to do the devil's work on God's day. And call the Sabbath a delight. Call it a delight. That is, esteem it so. Though the Sabbath be not a day for carnal pleasure, yet holy pleasure is not forbidden. The soul must take pleasure in the duties of a Sabbath. The saints of old counted the Sabbath a delight. The Jews called the Sabbath a day of light. THE LORD'S DAY, ON WHICH THE SUN OF RIGHTEOUSNESS SHINES, IS BOTH A DAY OF LIGHT AND DELIGHT. THIS IS THE DAY OF SWEET COMMUNICATION BETWEEN GOD AND YOUR SOUL. ON THIS DAY A CHRISTIAN MAKES HIS VENTURES OUT TO HEAVEN. HIS SOUL IS LIFTED ABOVE THE EARTH, AND CAN THIS BE WITHOUT DELIGHT? THE HIGHER THE BIRD FLIES, THE SWEETER IT SINGS. ON THE SABBATH THE SOUL FIXES ITS LOVE ON GOD, AND WHERE LOVE IS, THERE IS DELIGHT. On this day the believer's heart is melted, quickened and enlarged in holy duties. And how can all this be, and not a secret delight go along with it? On a Sabbath a gracious soul can say, I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Song of Solomon 2, 3. How can a spiritual heart choose but to call the Sabbath a delight? Is it not delightful to a queen to be putting on her wedding robes in which she shall meet the king, her bridegroom, when we are about Sabbath exercises, we are dressing ourselves, as it were, putting on our wedding robes in which we are to meet our heavenly bridegroom? the lord jesus and is this not delightful on the sabbath god makes a feast of fat things he feasts the ear with his word and the heart with his grace well then may we call the sabbath a delight to find this holy delight is to be in the spirit on the lord's day The holy of the Lord, honorable, or in the Hebrew, it is glorious. To call the Sabbath honorable is not to be understood so much of an outward honor given to a day by wearing better clothes or fixing better food on this day, as the Jewish doctors corruptly say. This is the chief honor that some give to this day, but by calling the Sabbath honorable is meant that Honor of the heart, which we give to the day, reverencing it and esteeming it as the Queen of Days. We are to count the Sabbath honorable because God has honored it. All the persons in the Trinity have honored it. God the Father blessed it. God the Son rose upon it. God the Holy Ghost descended on it. Acts 2 1. This day is to be honored by all good Christians and had in high veneration. It is a day of renown on which a golden scepter of mercy is held forth. The Christian Sabbath is the very dawning of the heavenly Sabbath. It is honorable because on the Lord's day God comes down to us and visits us. To have the King of heaven present in a special manner in our assemblies on Sunday makes Sunday honorable. Besides, the work done on this day makes it honorable the six days are filled up with servile work which makes them lose much of their glory but on this day sacred work is done the soul is employed wholly about the worship of god it is praying hearing meditating it is doing angels work praising and blessing god again the day is honorable by virtue of a divine institution Silver is of itself valuable metal, but when the royal stamp is put upon it, it is honorable. So God has put a sacred stamp upon His day, the Lord's day, the stamp of divine authority, and the stamp of divine benediction. This makes it honorable, and this is sanctifying the Sabbath, to call it a delight and honorable. Not doing thine own ways, that is, thou shalt not defile the day by doing any servile work, nor finding thine own pleasure, that is, not gratifying the fleshly part by walks visits, hobbies, pastimes, nor speaking thine own words, that is, words different, unsuitable for a Sabbath, vain, impertinent words, discourses of worldly affairs, used to. If the Sabbath day is to be kept holy, they are reproved, who, instead of sanctifying the Sabbath, profane it. They take the time which should be dedicated holy to God, and spend it in the service of the devil and their own lusts. The Lord has set apart this day for His own worship, and they make it common. God has set a hedge about this commandment, saying, Remember the Sabbath day, and they break this hedge down. But he who breaks the hedge... A serpent shall bite him, Ecclesiastes 10.8. The Lord's Day in England lies bleeding, and oh, that our Parliament would pour some balm into the wounds which it has received. How is this day profaned by sitting idle at home, by selling food, by vain discourse, by sinful visits, walking in the fields, and by sports? The people of Israel might not gather manna on the Sabbath, and may we use sports and dancings on this day? Truly it should be a matter of grief to us to see so much Sabbath profanation. When one of Darius's eunuchs saw Alexander sitting his feet on a rich table of Darius's, he wept. Alexander asked him why he wept. He said it was to see the table which his master so highly esteemed now made a footstool So may we weep to see the Lord's day, which God highly esteems and has honored and blessed, to be made a footstool and trampled upon by the feet of sinners. To profane the Sabbath is a great sin. It is a willful contempt of God. It is not only casting His law behind our back, but trampling it underfoot. He says, Keep the Sabbath holy. But you pollute it. This is to despise God, to hang out the flag of defiance, to throw down the gauntlet and challenge God himself. Now how can God endure to be thus saucily confronted by proud dust? Surely he will not allow this high impudence to go unpunished. God's curse will come upon the Sabbath-breaker, and it will blast where it comes The law of the land may let Sabbath-breakers alone, but God will not. No sooner did Christ curse the fig tree, but it withered. God will take the matter into His own hand. He will see after the punishing of Sabbath-violation. And how does He punish it? First, with spiritual plagues. He gives up Sabbath-profaners to hardness of heart and a seared conscience. Spiritual judgments are worst so I gave them up unto their own hearts lust Psalm 81:12 a seared conscience is a brand of reprobation second God punishes this sin by giving men up to commit other sins. To revenge the breaking of His Sabbath, He allows them to break open houses, and so come to be punished by the magistrate. How many such confessions have we heard from thieves going to be executed? They never regarded the Lord's day, and God allowed them to commit those sins for which they are to die Third, God punishes Sabbath-breaking by sudden, visible judgments on men for this sin. He punishes them in their estates and in their persons. While a certain man was carrying corn into his barn on the Lord's day, both house and corn were consumed with lightning. In Wiltshire, there was a dancing match appointed upon the Lord's day, and while one of the company was dancing, he suddenly fell down dead. Dead. The Theater of God's Judgments, a book, relates of one who used every Lord's Day to hunt in sermon time, who had a child by his wife, the child with a head like a dog, and it cried like a hound. His sin was monstrous, and it was punished with a monstrous birth. The Lord threatened the Jews that if they would not hallow the Sabbath day, He would kindle a fire in their gates. Jeremiah 17.27 The dreadful fire which broke out in London began on the Sabbath day, as if God would tell us from heaven He was then punishing us for our Sabbath profanation. Nor does He punish it only in this life with death, but hereafter with damnation. Let such as break God's Sabbath see if they can break those chains of darkness which they and the devil shall be held. Use three. It exhorts us to Sabbath holiness. Make conscience of keeping this day holy. The other commandments have an affirmative in them only or a negative only. This fourth commandment has both an affirmative and in it, and a negative. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy, and thou shalt not do any manner of work in it. shows how carefully God would have us observe this day. Not only must you keep this day yourselves, but have a care that all under your charge keep it. Thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant, that is, thou who art a superior, a parent, or a employer, Thou must have a care that not only thou thyself, but those who are under thy trust and tuition sanctify the day. Those masters of families are to blame, who are careful that their servants serve them, but have no care that they serve God, who care not though their servants should serve the devil, so long as their bodies do them service. That which Paul says to Timothy, that good thing which was committed unto thee keep, is of large meaning. 1 Timothy one eleven. Not only have a care of thy own soul, but have a care of the souls thou art entrusted with. See that they who are under thy charge sanctify Sunday. God's law provided that if a man met with an ox or ass going astray, he should bring him back again much more when thou seest the soul of thy child or servant going astray from God and breaking his Sabbath, thou shouldest bring him back again to a religious observation of this day. That I may press you to Sabbath sanctification, consider what great blessings God has promised to the strict observers of this day. Isaiah fifty-eight 14, First, a promise of joy. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. Delighting in God is both a duty and a reward. In this text it is a reward. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. As if God had said, If thou keep the Sabbath conscientiously, I will give thee that which will fill thee with delight. If thou keep the Lord's day willingly, I will make thee keep it joyfully. I will give thee those enlargements in duty, and that inward comfort, which shall abundantly satisfy thee. Thy soul shall overflow with such a stream of joy, that thou shalt say, Lord, in keeping thy Sabbath there is great reward. Two? Of honor. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. That is, I will advance thee to honor. So one interprets it some. By the high places of the earth, understand Judea, I will bring thee into the land of Judea, which is situated higher than the other countries next to it, three of earth and heaven, and I will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob. That is, I will feed thee with all the delicious things of Canaan, and afterward I will translate thee to heaven, whereof Canaan was but a type. Another promise is, blessed is the man that doeth this, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, Isaiah 55, 2. Isaiah 56 six two. Blessed is the man in the Hebrew, it is blessedness to him that keeps the Lord's day holy. Here is blessedness upon blessedness belonging to him. He shall be blessed with the upper and nether springs. He shall be blessed in his name, estate, soul, descendants. Who would not keep the Sabbath from polluting it that he shall have so many blessings entailed upon him and his posterity after him? Again, A conscientious keeping of the Lord's day seasons the heart for God's service all the week after. Christian, the more holy you are on a Sunday, the more holy you will be on the week following. The Fifth Commandment Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Exodus 20, verse 12 Having done with the first table of the law, I am next to speak of the duties of the second table. The commandments may be likened to Jacob's ladder. The first table respects God and is the top of the ladder that reaches to heaven. The second respects superiors and inferiors and is the foot of the ladder that rests on the earth. By the first table we walk religiously towards God, by the second we walk religiously towards our neighbor. He cannot be good in the first table that is bad in the second. Honor thy father and thy mother. In this we have a command, Honor thy father and thy mother, and second a reason for it, that thy days may be long in the land. The command will chiefly be considered here, Honor thy father." The first point, Father is of different kinds, as the political, the ancient, the spiritual, the domestic, and the natural Father. Number one, the political father, the ruler, the magistrate. He is the father of his country. He is to be an encourager of virtue, a punisher of vice, and a father to the widow and orphan. Such a father was Job. I was a father to the poor, said Job, and the cause which I knew not I searched out, Job. 29.16 As magistrates are fathers, so especially the king, who is the head of magistrates, is a political father. He is placed as the sun among the lesser stars. The scripture calls kings fathers. Kings shall be thy nursing fathers. Isaiah forty nine twenty three. They are to train up their subjects in piety by good laws and good examples, and nurse them up in peace and plenty. Such nursing fathers were David, Hezekiah, Josiah. It is well for a people to have such nursing fathers whose breasts milk comfort to their children. These fathers are to be honored for, firstly, their place deserves honor. God has set these political fathers to preserve order and harmony in a nation, and to prevent those state convulsions which otherwise might ensue. When there was no king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes, Judges 17.6. It is a wonder that locusts have no king, yet they go forth by bands. Secondly, God has promoted kings that they may promote justice. As they have a sword in their hand to signify power, they have a scepter an emblem of justice it is said of emperor marcus aurelius that he allotted one hour of the day to hear the complaints of those who were oppressed kings placed judges as cherubims about the throne for distribution of justice these political fathers are to be honored honor the king 1 peter 2:17 this honor is to be shown by a civil respect to their persons, and a cheerful submission to their laws, so far as they agree and run parallel with God's law. Kings are to be prayed for, which is a part of the honor we give them. I exhort that supplications, prayers, intercessions be made for kings, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. 1 Timothy 2, one. We are to pray for kings that God would honor them to be blessings, that under them we may enjoy the gospel of peace and the peace of the gospel. How happy the reign of the king when swords are beaten into plowshares and bees make hives of soldiers' helmets. Number two, here is the grave ancient father who is venerable for old age, whose gray hairs are resembled to the white flowers of the almond tree in Ecclesiastes (laughs) 12.5. There are fathers for seniority here, on whose wrinkled brows and in the furrow of whose cheeks is pictured the map of old age. These fathers The ancient fathers are to be honored. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and honor the face of the old man. I am the Lord thy God. Leviticus 19.32 Especially those are to be honored who are fathers not only for their seniority, but for their piety, whose souls are flourishing when their bodies are decaying. It is a blessed sight to see springs of grace in the autumn of old age, to see men stooping towards the grave yet going up the hill of God, to see them lose their color yet keep their flavor. They whose silver hairs are crowned with righteousness are worthy of double honor. They are to be honored not only as pieces of antiquity, but as patterns of virtue. If you see an old man fearing God, whose grace shines brightest when the sun of his life is setting, oh, honor him as a father by reverencing and imitating him. Number three. There are spiritual fathers as pastors and ministers. These are instruments of the new birth. Though ye have ten thousand instructors, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4.15 The spiritual fathers are to be honored in respect of their office. Whatever their persons are, their office is honorable. They are the messengers of the Lord of hosts, Malachi 2.7. They represent no less than God Himself. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. Jesus Christ was of this calling. He had His mission and sanction from heaven, and this crowns the ministerial calling with honor, John 8.18. These spiritual fathers are to be honored for their work's sake. They come like the dove with an olive branch in the mouth. They preach glad tidings of peace. Their work is to save souls. Other callings have only to do with men's bodies or estates, but the minister's calling is employed about the souls of men. Their work is to redeem spiritual captives and turn men from the power of Satan unto God, Acts 26.18. Their work is to enlighten them who sit in the region of darkness and make them shine as stars in the kingdom of heaven. These spiritual fathers are to be honored for their work's sake. And this honor is to be shown in three ways. Firstly, by giving them respect, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. 1 Thessalonians five, twelve and 13. I confess the scandalous lives of some ministers have been a great reproach, and have made the offering of the lord to be abhorred in some places of the land the leper in the law was to have his lip covered so such as are angels by office but lepers in their lives ought to have their lips covered and to be silenced but though some deserve no honor yet such as are faithful and make it their work to bring souls to christ are to be reverenced as spiritual fathers obadiah honored the prophet Elijah, as a spiritual father. 1 Kings 18.7 Why did God reckon the tribe of Levi for the firstborn? Numbers 3.13 Why did he appoint that the prince should ask counsel of God by the priest? In Numbers 27.21 Why did the Lord show, by that miracle of Aaron's rod flourishing, that he had chosen the tribe of Levi to minister before him in Numbers 17? Why does Christ call his apostles the lights of the world, and why does he say to all his ministers, Lo, I am with you to the end of the world, but because he would have these spiritual fathers reverenced? In ancient times the Egyptians chose their kings out of their priests. They are far from showing disrespect and honor to their spiritual fathers, who have slight thoughts of such as have the charge of the sanctuary, And do minister before the Lord? Know them, says the apostle, which labor among you. Many can be content to know their ministers in their infirmities, and are glad when they have anything against them, but do not know them in the apostle's sense, so as to give them double honor. Surely were it not for the ministers, you would not be a vineyard, but a desert. Were it not for the ministers, you would be destitute, you would be infidels, for faith cometh by hearing, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Romans ten fourteen. Secondly, honor these spiritual fathers by becoming advocates for them, and wiping off those slanders and false accusations which are unjustly cast upon them. First Timothy five nineteen. Do the ministers open their mouths to God for you in prayer, and will not you open your mouths in their behalf? Surely, if they labor to preserve you from hell. You should preserve them from slander. If they labor to save your souls, you ought to save their reputation. Thirdly, honor them by conforming to their doctrine. The greatest honor you can put upon your spiritual fathers is to believe and obey their doctrine. He is an adulterer who does not hear and obey the word. He is an honorer of the ministry who is not only a hearer, but a follower of the word. As disobedience reproaches the ministry, so obedience honors it. The apostle calls the Thessalonians his crown. What is our crown of rejoicing? Are not ye? 1 Thessalonians 2.19 A thriving people are a minister's crown. When there is a metamorphosis, a change wrought, when people come to the word proud, but go away humble, when they come earthly, but they go away heavenly, when they come as Naaman to Jordan, lepers, but they go away healed, then the ministry is honored. Need we, said Paul, as some others, epistles of commendation, 2 Corinthians three one. though other ministers might need letters of commendation, yet Paul needed none. For when men heard of the obedience wrought in these Corinthians by Paul's preaching, it would be a sufficient certificate that God had blessed his labors. The Corinthians were a sufficient honor to him. They were his letters testimonial. You cannot honor your spiritual fathers more than by thriving under their ministry and living upon the sermons which they preach. Number four, there is the domestic father, that is, the master of the house. He is the father of the family. Therefore Naaman's servants called their master father in 2 Kings 5.13, the centurion called his servant son in the Greek, Matthew 8.6, the servant is to honor his master as the father of the family. Though the master be not so qualified as he should be, yet the servant must not neglect his duty, but show some kind of honor to him. Firstly, in obeying his master, as it is said in things that are lawful and honest, servants, be subject to your masters, not only to the good and gentle but also to the froward, First Peter 2.18. God has nowhere given a charter of exemption to free you from your duty. You cannot disobey your earthly master, but you disobey your master in heaven. Think not that birth or high parts, no, nor even grace, will exempt you from obedience to your master. To obey him is an ordinance of God, and an apostle says they that resist the ordinance shall receive to themselves damnation, Romans 13.2. Secondly, the servant's honoring his master is seen in being diligent in his service. Apelles painted a servant with his hands full of tools as an emblem of diligence. The loitering, lazy servant is a kind of thief, who, though he does not steal his master's goods, steals the time which he should have employed in his master's service. The slothful servant is called a wicked servant, Matthew 25.26. Thirdly, the servant is to honor his master by being faithful. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Matthew twenty four forty five. Faithfulness is the chief thing in a servant. Faithfulness in a servant is seen in six things. One, in tenaciousness, in concealing the secrets that the master has entrusted you with. If those secrets are not sins, you ought not to betray them. What is whispered in your ear, you are not to publish on the housetop. Servants who do this are spies. Who would keep a glass that is cracked? Who would keep a servant that has a crack in his brain and cannot keep a secret? 2 Faithfulness in a servant is seen in designing the master's advantage. A faithful servant esteems his master's goods as his own. Such a servant had Abraham who when his master sent him to transact business for him, was as careful about it as if it had been his own. O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Genesis 44.12 Doubtless Abraham's servant was as glad as he got a wife for his master's son as if he had got a wife for himself. 3. Faithfulness in a servant is seen in standing up for the honor of his master. When he hears him spoken against, he vindicates him. As the master is careful of the servant's body, so the servant should be careful of the master's name. When the master is unjustly reproached, the servant cannot be excused if he be possessed with a dumb devil. For faithfulness is when a servant is true to his word. He dares not tell a lie, but will speak the truth, though it be against himself." A lie doubles the sin. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. Psalm 101.7 A liar is near akin to the devil. John 8.44 And who would let any of the devil's kindred live with him? The lie that Gehazi told his master Elisha entailed leprosy on that servant and his seed forever. 2 Kings 5.27 In a faithful servant the tongue is the true index of the heart. 5 Faithfulness is when a servant is against impropriation. He dares not convert his master's goods to his own use, not purloining. Titus 2.10 When a servant steals from his master is damnable gain. He who enriches himself by stealing from his master stuffs his pillow with thorns, on which his head will lie very uneasy when he comes to die. Six, faithfulness consists in preserving the master's person, if unjustly in danger. Bannister betrayed his master, the Duke of Buckingham, in King Richard III's reign, and the judgments of God fell upon the traitorous servant. His eldest son became mad. His daughter of a singular beauty was suddenly struck with leprosy. His younger son was drowned, and he himself was arraigned and would have been executed." had he not been saved by his clergy. That servant who is not true to his master will never be true to God or his own soul. Fourthly, the servant is to honor his master by serving him as with love, so with silence, that is, without repining and without replying. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, not answering again. Titus 2.9 Not giving cross answers in the Greek. Some servants who are slow at work are quick at speech, and instead of being sorry for a fault, provoke by unbecoming language. Were the heart more humble, the tongue would be more silent. The apostles' words are not answering again. To those servants who honor their masters or family fathers by submission, diligence, faithfulness, love, and humble silence, great encouragement is given. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3.22.24 In serving your masters you serve Christ, for He will not let you lose your labor. Ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. From serving on earth you shall be taken up to reign in heaven, and shall sit with Christ upon His throne. Revelation 3.21 Having shown how servants are to honor their masters, I shall next show how masters are to conduct themselves toward their servants. So as to be honored by them. In general, masters must remember that they have a master in heaven who will call them to account, knowing that your master also is in heaven, Ephesians 6 9. More particularly, one, masters must take care to provide for their servants. As they appoint them work, so they must give them their meat in due season. Luke 17:7 7. They should see that the food be wholesome and sufficient. It is most unworthy of some governors of families to lay out so much upon their own back as to pinch their servants' bellies. Two masters should encourage their servants in their work by commending them when they do well. Though a master is to tell a servant of his faults, yet he is not always to beat on one string, but sometimes to take notice of that which is praiseworthy. This makes a servant more cheerful in his work, and gains the master the love from his servant. 3. Masters must not overburden their servants, but proportion their work to their strength. They must not lay too much load on their servants to make them faint under it, Christianity Teaches Compassion 4. Masters must seek the spiritual good of their servants. They must be seraphims to kindle their love to religion. They must be monitors to put them in mind of their souls. They must bring them to the pool of the sanctuary to wait till the angels stir the waters, John 5, four. They must seek God for them, that their servants may be God's servants, and must allow them time convenient For secret devotion. Some are cruel to the souls of their servants, they expect them to do the work about the house, but abridge them of the time they should employ in working out their salvation. five. Masters should be mild and gentle in their behavior toward their servants, forbearing threatening Ephesians six nine. Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but shalt fear thy God Leviticus twenty five forty three. It requires wisdom in a master to know how to keep up his authority, and yet avoid austerity. We have a good copy to write after our master in heaven, who is slow to anger, and of great mercy. Psalm 145, 8. Some masters are so harsh and implacable that they are enough to spoil a good servant. Six, be very exact and punctual in the agreements you make with your servants. Do not prevaricate keep not back any of their wages nor deal deceitfully with them as Laban did with Jacob changing his wages genesis 31:7 falseness in promise is as bad as false weights 7 Be careful of your servants, not only in health, but in sickness. If they have become sick while in your service, use what means you can for their recovery, and be not like the Amalekite who forsook his servant when he was sick, but be as the good centurion who kept his sick servant and sought Christ for a cure. 1 Samuel 30.13, Matthew 8.6 If you have a beast that falls sick, You will not turn it off, but have it looked to, and pay for its cure. Will you not be kinder to your horses than to your servants? Thus should masters carry themselves prudently and piously, that they may gain honor from their servants, and may give up their accounts to God with joy. Will you be kinder to your horses than to your servants? Fifthly, Kinds of fathers. Number five, the natural father, the father of the flesh. Hebrews 7 9. Honor thy natural father. This is so necessary a duty that Philo the Jew placed the fifth commandment in the first table of the law, as though we had not performed our whole duty to God till we had paid this debt of honor to our natural parents. Children are the vineyard of the parents' planting, and honor done to the parent is some of the fruit of the vineyard. The second point, children are to show honor to their parents, first, by a reverential esteem of their persons. They must give them a civil veneration. Therefore, when the apostle speaks of fathers of our bodies, he speaks also of giving them reverence. Hebrews 12:9. The veneration of reverence must be shown one inwardly by fear mixed with love. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father. Leviticus 19.3 In the commandment the father is named first, but here in Leviticus the mother is first named, partly to put honor upon the mother, because by reason of many weaknesses incident to her sex, she is apt to be more slighted by her children, and partly because the mother endures more for the child. 2. Reverence must be shown to parents outwardly, both in word and deed or gesture, in word that either in speaking to parents or speaking of them, in speaking of parents, children must speak respectfully. Ask on, my mother, said King Solomon to his mother Bathsheba. 1 Kings 2.20 In speaking of parents, children must speak honorably. They ought to speak well of them, if they deserve well. Her children arise up and call her blessed Proverbs thirty one twenty eight, and in case a parent betrays weakness and indiscretion, the child should make the best of it, and by wise apologies cover his parents' nakedness. In deed or gesture, children are to show reverence to their parents by submissive behavior, by uncovering the head and bending the knee. Joseph, though a great prince and his father had grown poor, bowed to him and behaved himself as humbly as if his father had been the prince and he the poor man. Genesis 46:29. King Solomon, when his mother came to him, rose off his throne and bowed himself to her, First Kings two, nineteen. Among the Lacedaemonians, Among the Lacedaemonians, if a child had carried himself arrogantly or saucily to his father, it was lawful for the father to appoint whom he would to be his heir. Oh, how many children are far from thus giving reverence to their parents! They despise their parents, they carry themselves with such pride and neglect towards them that they are ashamed to religion, and bring their parents' gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, Deuteronomy 27:16, "If all that set light by their parents are cursed, how many children in our age are under a curse? If such as are disrespectful to parents live to have children, their own children will be thorns in their sides, and God will make them read their sins in their punishment. Second, the second way of showing honor to parents is by careful obedience. Children, obey your parents in all things. Colossians 3.20 Our Lord Christ herein set a pattern to children. He was subject to His parents. Luke 2.51 He to whom angels were subject, was subject to His parents. Disobedience to parents is shown three ways. In hearkening to their counsel, way number one, Hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Proverbs 1.8 Parents are, as it were, in the place of God. If they would teach you the fear of the Lord, you must listen to their words as oracles, and not be as the deaf adder to stop your ears. Eli's sons hearkened not to the voice of their father, but were called sons of Belial. 1 Samuel 2, 12 and 25. And as children must hearken to the counsel of their parents in spiritual matters, so in affairs which relate to this life as in the choice of a calling, and in case of entering into marriage. Jacob would not dispose of himself in marriage, though he was forty years old without the advice and consent of his parents. Genesis 28, 1 and 2, children are, as it were, the parents' proper goods and possession, and it is great injustice in a daughter to give herself away without the parents' permission. If parents should indeed counsel a child to match with one that is irreligious or popish, I think the case is plain, and many of the learned are of the opinion that here the child may have a negative voice, and is not obliged to be ruled by the parent. Children are to marry in the Lord, not therefore with persons irreligious, for that is not to marry in the Lord, 1 Corinthians seven thirty-nine. Way to obedience to parents shown in complying with their commands. A child should be the parents' echo. When the father speaks, the child should echo back obedience. The Rechabites were forbidden by their father to drink wine, and they obeyed him, and were commended for it. Jeremiah thirty-five fourteen. Children must obey their parents in all things. Colossians three twenty. In things against the grain to which they have most reluctance, they must obey their parents. Esau would obey his father when he commanded him to fetch him venison, because it is probably took pleasure in hunting, but refused to obey in a matter of greater concernment in the choice of a wife. But though children must obey their parents in all things, yet, as it is said, it is with the limitation of things just and honest, obey in the Lord." That is, so far as the commands of parents agree with God's commands. Ephesians six one. If parents command against God, they lose their right of being obeyed, and in this case we must unchild ourselves. Third, honor is to be shown to parents in relieving their wants. Joseph cherished his father in his old age, Genesis forty-seven, twelve. It is but paying a just debt. Parents brought up children when they were young, and children ought to nourish their parents when they are old. The young storks, by an instinct of nature, bring meat to the old ones, when by reason of age those old storks are not able to fly. Pliny calls it a law of the storks, the memory of Aenus was honored for carrying his aged father out of Troy when the city was on fire. I have read of a daughter whose father, being condemned to be starved to death, who gave him in his prison suck with her own breasts, which, being known to the governors, procured her father's freedom. Such children Or monsters, shall I say, are to blame who are ashamed of their parents when they are old and fallen into decay, and when they ask for bread, give them a stone. When houses are shut up, we say the plague is there. When children's hearts are shut up against their parents, the plague is there. Our blessed Savior took great care for His mother, when on the cross He charged His disciple John to take her home to Him as His mother and see that she wanted nothing John nineteen twenty six twenty seven. Point three The reasons why children should honor their parents are first it is a solemn command of God honor thy father and thy mother. As God's word is the rule, so his will must be the reason of our obedience. Second, they deserve honor in respect of the great love and affection which they bear to their children, and the evidence of that love both in their care and cost. Their care in bringing up their children is a sign that their hearts are full of love to them. Parents often take more care of their children than for themselves. They take care of them when they are tender, lest like wall fruit they should be nipped in the bud. As children grow older, the care of parents grows greater. They are afraid of their children falling when young and of worse than falls when they are older. Their love is evidenced by their cost second corinthians twelve fourteen they lay up and they lay out for their children and are not like the raven or ostrich which are cruel to their young. Job 39.16 Parents must sometimes impoverish themselves to enrich their children. Children never can equal a parent's love, for parents are the instruments of life to their children, and children cannot be so to their parents. Third, to honor parents is well-pleasing to the Lord, Colossians 3.20. As it is joyful to parents, so it is pleasing to the Lord. Children, Is it not your duty to please God? In honoring and obeying your parents, you please God as well as when you repent and believe. And that you may see how well it pleases God, he bestows a reward upon it, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Jacob would not let the angel go till he had blessed him, and God would not part with this commandment till he had blessed it. Paul calls this the first commandment with promise, Ephesians 6 2. The second commandment has a general promise to mercy, but this is the first commandment that has a particular promise made to it. Long life is mentioned as a blessing. Thou shalt see thy children's children, Psalm 128 6. It was a great favor of God to Moses that though he was a hundred and twenty years old, he needed no spectacles. His eye was not dim nor his natural force abated, Deuteronomy thirty four seven. God threatened it as a curse to Eli that there should not be an old man in his family first Samuel two thirty one. Since the flood, life is much abbreviated, and cut short to some the womb is their tomb. Others exchange their cradle for their grave. Others die in the flower of their age. Death serves its warrant every day upon one or other. Now, when death lies in ambush continually for us, if God satisfies us with long life, saying as in Psalm 91, 16, with long life will I satisfy Him, it is to be esteemed a blessing. It is a blessing when God gives a long time to repent, a long time to do service, a long time to enjoy the comforts of kinfolk. Upon whom is this blessing of long life entailed? But obedient children. Honor thy father that thy days may be long. Nothing sooner shortens life than disobedience to parents. Absalom was a disobedient son who sought to deprive his father of his life and crown, and he did not live out half his days. The mule he rode upon, being weary of such a burden, left him hanging in the oak betwixt heaven and earth, so as not fit to tread upon one or to enter into the other. Obedience to parents spins out the life, nor does obedience to parents lengthen life only, but sweetens it. To live long and not to have a foot of land is a misery. But obedience to parents settles land of inheritance upon the child. Hast thou but one blessing, O my father? cried Esau. Behold, God has more blessings for an obedient child than one. Not only shall he have a long life, but a fruitful land. And not only shall he have land, but land given in love. The land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt have land not only with God's leave, but with God's love. All these are powerful arguments to make children honor and obey their parents. Use 1. If we are to honor our fathers on earth, much more our father in heaven. If I then be a father, where is my honor? Malachi 1.6. A father is but the instrument of conveying life, but God is the original cause of our being for it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves psalm 100 verse 3 honor and adoration is a pearl which belongs to the crown of heaven only one we show honor to our heavenly father by obeying him thus christ honored his father i came down from heaven said he not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me john 6:38 this he calls honoring God, I do always those things which please him. I honor my father john 8, 29 and 49. The wise men not only bowed the knee to Christ but presented him with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew chapter two, So we must not only bow the knee, give God adoration, but bring him presents, give him golden obedience. Two we show honor to our heavenly Father by advocating his cause and standing up for his truth in an adulterous generation, that son honors his father who stands up in his defense and vindicates him when he is slandered and reproached. Do they honor God who are ashamed of him? Many believed on him, but did not confess him in John 12, 42, They are bastard sons who are ashamed to own their heavenly Father. Such as are born of God are steeled with courage for this truth. They are like the rock which no waves can break, like the adamant stone which no sword can cut. Basil was a champion for truth in the time of the conqueror Valens, and Athanasius, when the world was Arian, appeared for God. Three, we show honor to our Heavenly Father by ascribing the honor of all we do to Him. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 If a Christian has any assistance in duty, any strength against corruption, he rears up a pillar and writes upon it, Hitherto has the Lord helped me. As when Joab had fought against Rabbah, and had like to have taken it, sent for King David, that he might carry away the honor of the victory. So when a child of God has any conquest over Satan, he gives all the honor to God, Second Samuel twelve twenty seven twenty eight. 28. Hypocrites whose lamp is fed with the oil of vainglory, while they do any eminent service to God, seek to honor themselves, and so their very serving him is dishonoring him.
1: M O N T O N Alberta abbreviated Capital A Capital B Canada T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart. From his commentary on Jeremiah seven thirty one